Our scripture comes from the gospel according to St. Luke. Uh, Luke, uh, the physician, the one uh, who was so into details. Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 15. We'll be reading verses 25 through 32. This is probably one of the most familiar accounts Jesus ever shared. And as I've said before when talking about this, there, you can find yourself in the story of the prodigal son. You, you can find yourself in there. It's not hard because all of us at one time or another have been the prodigal in whatever way we choose to define that. And so today we're going to be reading from the 15th chapter, verses 25 uh, through 32. Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. This is the reading of the Holy Gospel and the inerrant, infallible, unchangeable word of the living God. Will you please stand as we read it together? <clears throat> now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, What was going on? He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has gotten him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You be seated. <clears throat> a, um, a Catholic priest friend of mine told me the following story. As it goes, the Pope arrives in New York City. He has a speaking engagement there at the United Nations. The Pope's planes delayed a little bit. So he gets in late. There's a limousine waiting for the Pope to carry him to the United Nations. And so the Pope gets into the back. The limo pulls off, is making its way down to the United Nations building. But it's obvious, you know, New York traffic, it's obvious the Pope is going to be late, even later than he thought for his speaking engagement. So the Pope reaches up and he taps the driver on the shoulder and he says, Sir, please hurry. Please, we must go faster. And the limo driver says, Your Eminence, I'm doing the best I can to get you there safely. Yes, yes, the Pope says, but I'm going to be late for my speaking engagement. We must go faster. But, sir, the limo driver says, I have a chauffeur's license. And if I'm arrested for speeding, I'll lose my license and I'll lose my livelihood. Very well, says the Pope. Just pull over. You get in the back, and I'll drive. <laughs> so <clears throat> here's the scene, okay? You got the scene. Here's the scene. The Pope is driving, driving the limo down East River Drive. He's speeding along, and as luck would have it, 
Sure enough, he gets pulled over by a traffic cop. Cop gets off his motorcycle, makes his way up to the limo, looks inside, surveys the situation and says, wait just a moment. He makes his way back to his motorcycle where he gets on the radio and he says, Captain, <clears throat> I'm going to need some help here. I need some backup. I've caught myself a really big one. A really big one, says the captain. Well, who do you have pulled over? The mayor? Oh, no, no, no. Much, much bigger, he says. Bigger than the mayor? Well, the governor? Have you managed to pull over the governor? Bigger. Bigger, much, much bigger, he says. Bigger than the governor? Please, please don't tell me you have pulled over the president of the United States. I'm talking really, really big here, he says. Well, who in the world is it, the captain asks. And he says, I'm not exactly sure, but he's got the Pope driving for him. <laughs> got the image? If I were driving goodness, what would I do? That's the question for this morning. You might remember that last week we, we had the, the theme of if I were the devil. And in that message, I talked to you about some strategies I'd use if I were in charge of evil, if I were driving evil, what approach would I take? And you might remember, I'm sure you do, that in that message I said if I were the devil, I would make sin look attractive I'd make church people do everything I could to make them stumble. I said that if I were the devil, I would help you make excuses and, and convince you that the rules didn't really apply to you. <laughs> and if I were the devil, I'd do everything I could to convince you that the blood of Christ does not save you. Well, today, I want to flip that over and I want to answer it from the side of goodness. From the side of God, what would I do if I were God? What would my strategies be? And how, incidentally, how would I handle rebellion, particularly rebellion and disobedience in people? How would I handle it when people were sinful and rebellious? What if I were God? And in order to understand where I'm coming from, you need to know a little bit about my personal story. My Uncle Grant and Aunt Susan are sitting here this morning, and they know all of this. But I want to give you a little bit of background. <clears throat> I am an older brother. And in some ways, I confess to you that I am the stereotypical older brother. When I was very young, growing up, my mom and dad said to me something like, we really want you to work hard. We want you to get good grades. We want you to do you the best you can in school. And we want you to go to college, and we want you to get your degree. And if you, if you really want to get ahead, we want you to get your master's degree and perhaps even your doctorate. So I worked hard, and I did my best. And I made pretty good grades in school. And my parents then said to me, Now, remember, we want you to live a moral life. 
And we want you to set an example. We have a reputation to protect. We have a good and honored family name in our community and in the church. What you do reflects on us as well as yourself. And so we'd like you always to try and do the right thing. And I tried. I tried to be a good kid. I tried to do the right thing. I I tried to set an example for my family, and I tried never, ever, ever to embarrass the family name. And then one day my father said to me, listen, we need somebody to take care of all the grounds over at the church. I want you to cut the grass at the church. I want you to cut it every week during the growing season and and give it a nice edge and trim the hedges every other week and and we need you to rake the leaves in the fall and I really need you to help help me here and I, I need you to start as quickly as you can and the church will pay you $8 a week when you cut an edge and they'll pay you $10 when you cut edge and trim the hedges and I did that And it made me feel like I was doing something. I I was kind of making a difference. And then they said to me something along the lines of, you've got a younger sister. And remember, you need to set an example for her. And you need to help her as much as you can. Now, my older brother, Steve, who's 10 years older than I am, had moved out of the house at this point. But I heard that message, and I heard that message of responsibility. But my sister... Holy smoke. My sister's five years younger than I am. She was the typical youngest child. She was carefree. Her attitude was, I'll talk back if I want to talk back. And if I don't like what they're telling me to do, I won't do it. Stubborn. I know none of you would know anything about that. Stubborn. Now, my parents, people listen to me, my parents gave her the very same basic messages they gave me. We want you to go to school and do well, and we want you to go to college and so on and so on. But she was happy just to get through high school. Some people graduated summa cum laude. Some people graduated magna cum laude. She just graduated thank you laude. (laughs) It was... She was fiercely independent, a spitfire temper. You ever know anybody with a spitfire type temper? And she would say things that would cause me to cringe. And my parents said to me, now, watch out who you hang out with. You're known by the company you keep. Remember, if you lay down with dogs, you're going to wake up with fleas. That was one of their favorite lines. Lay down with dogs, you're going to wake up with fleas. But the people she ran around with, they were, um, this is being recorded, so I'll just say it. They were different. Now, let me ask you, having given you that background, which of the brothers in the story do you think I identify with? The older one or the younger one? I identify with the older brother. I happen to think he's a good guy. And in fact, until Jesus Christ came into my life and began to teach me about grace, my attitude toward people was very, very much like his. 
You get it. You get what you own and deserve. So the message for the next few minutes is actually, if the older brother were the father, how would the story have come out? You following me? And since I instinctively and experientially identify with the older brother, I want to answer it from there. If I were God, what would I do? What would I do? First of all, I would say, good riddance. He's gone, let him go. And let him stay. That's what I'd do. I mean, here this boy has, has done wrong. He's wasted resources. He's broken the heart of the father. And, and, and he's get, been given life on a silver platter. He's gone. Let him stay gone. Good riddance. He's been getting all the attention. He's made a mess out of his life. And now everybody's expected to sort of stop and celebrate because this kid who made bad choices has decided to come home? I don't think so. Good riddance. I had a man say to me one time, <clears throat> he'd been talking with a, with a friend of his who had a son. And the son had been doing drugs and dropped out of school and was making some really bad decisions. And my friend said, I, I couldn't stand to see my friend hurt so much. And so I just said to him, and I called him by name, I said, let him go. He's broken your heart, just let him go. If he were my son, I'd just let him go. And then he said, you know what my friend said back to me? He said, if he were your son, I'd let him go too. But he's not. He's my son. Do any parents in the room understand how your heart goes walking around on the outside of you with your kids? So if the older brother were God, if I were God, in my instinctive self, I would say, good riddance. But what does God do? Oh, he lets us go. He's not going to twist your arm. God is not going to hold you hostage and demand that you do the right thing. He lets us go. But he waits. Read the story carefully. He waits. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Some of the hardest loving you will ever have to do in your life is what I call loving from the waiting room. Does anybody understand what I mean by that? When you can't do anything, when there's nothing you can do, some of the most difficult loving you will ever do is loving from the waiting room. God waits for you, and he waits for me, even when we're in the far country making bad decisions. And he waits for your child who's in the far country right now. And he waits for your friend 
who's making bad choices right now. God waits. He's patient. His heart longs. His heart is out there, you see, where those lost sons and daughters are. And the father looks. I love love this story because I can see that old man every day going out on his front porch and straining his eyes as far as he can down, down ahead of him. He's just looking as far as he can to see if this is the day his boy comes home. So if I were God in my instinctive self, I would say, fine, good riddance. Go and stay gone. He lets us go. He lets us go. That's the first thing I want you to hear this morning. If I were God, I'd say good riddance, but God waits. Here's the second thing I would do. If I were God, I would insist on justice. That's really what the older brother was wanting, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, the older brother was wanting justice. This isn't fair. This isn't justice. All I'm asking for here is justice where the good are rewarded and the evil are punished. That's what the older brother wanted. That's justice. And that's what I would demand. You do stupid stuff, you deal with your stupid stuff choices. In fact, I would even celebrate justice. I mean, doesn't it just make basic sense that you ought to get what you deserve in this life? I mean, doesn't doesn't that make sense? Some of you folks in the room who've been around a while, you'll remember the old Smith-Barney commercial from years and years ago where it ends by this guy saying, at Smith-Barney, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. That's how I think it ought to work. Just give us what we earn. And that works fine until it comes to your relationship with God. In your relationship with God, do you really want what you deserve? I mean, if that's the way you look at life, in your relationship with God, does the same thing hold true? Do you really want what you deserve? I love the distinction somebody made once between grace and mercy. He said, grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. And mercy is God withholding you from you what you do deserve. Let that marinate for a minute. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. And mercy is God withholding from you what you do deserve. 
Now, please make sure you hear me here. Justice is something we must have in order to function as an orderly society. But God can relate to you and to me any way he chooses. And my friends, God chooses grace. Aren't you glad? Oh, that was terrible. God chooses grace. Aren't you glad? He can do whatever he chooses to do. You want justice? He can give you justice. You want to play that way? He can give you justice. But I, for one, am glad he chooses grace. God chooses forgiveness and he chooses love. If I were God, I would... If I were God and I were acting on my own instincts and you went away, I would say good riddance. And I would insist on justice. You get what you deserve. And finally, if I were God, I would offer the feast or the party only to those who deserved it. If I were God, I would offer the feast only to those who had worked for it. I'd throw a celebration only for those who were worthy of being celebrated. That's how I would do it. And the older brother, the dutiful one, the obedient one, the responsible one, let's be clear about this, okay? He is furious. And he isn't about to attend. I mean, in what universe does this make sense? In what universe does this kind of thing make sense? He screwed up his life, and now we're having a party for him just because he came home? Where does that make sense? Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. Have your party. <laughs> Not me. And then the more I thought about it, this idea occurred to me. Have you ever noticed that when God does something powerful, there's a party? I mean, we have this thing about having a party when God does something amazing. Think about it. <clears throat> when there's a wedding... What do we do? We have a party. Two people come here and they make a commitment, not just to each other and not just to you, but they make a commitment to God. And what do we do? We throw a party. I've been doing weddings a lot of years, a lot of years, and I can tell you I've never, ever, ever had a wedding where there wasn't some kind of party afterwards. Some of them were kind of doozy parties. Faith can tell you about that. Yeah. Some strange parties. But a party afterwards. When there's a baptism, what do we do? We have a celebration and we take pictures. And it's a great, great day. Because at a deep level... We know 
that we have just participated in something with the Holy One, with the Holy One. We have just participated in something where the Holy One says, shh, to the angels and bends his ear and listens closely. When one says to the other, I promise I will, and we throw a party. And when two parents, this is so cool, when two parents bring a child here, a little baby, and the preacher says, will you so live your life Will you order your life after the example of Christ that this child surrounded by steadfast love and the whole congregation says, we will. Shh. And the people said, we will. We participate in something with the Holy One. And I'm here to tell you that's worthy of a party. That's worthy of a celebration. When Jesus shared this parable, you know who he was talking about? Some people say, well, he was talking about God. You know what I think? I think he was talking about you and me. I started the message by saying the story of the prodigal son appeals to us all. Another way to remember it is the story of the prodigal son is a fluid story because it fits every container into which it's poured. Everyone. If I were God and you screwed up, I'd say good riddance. And I would say give, him what, give her what she deserves. That's how things work. And I would throw the party only if you deserved it. Because in this world, we celebrate only those who deserve to be celebrated. But aren't you glad that's not how God does it? I mean, it's, you don't have to say anything, but aren't you glad that's not how God does it? Because if you take one second you can think back in the recent history. You listening to me? In the recent history, you can think back and remember in whatever way you have been the prodigal. And every single time, the arms of the Father have been open and you have been welcomed home. And here's how he works, just in case you didn't know. He picks you up and he dusts off the back of your pants and says, okay, let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. Let's keep, uh, uh, come on, come on, come on. Come on, you can do this. That's how God chooses to love us. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is when he withholds from us what we do. And aren't you glad? This morning we're going to close our time, as we always do, with a time of prayer.
with the beautiful shoes here today. I'm going to ask you just to be in prayer where you are. So let's invite the praise team to come and sing and lead us. I'm so sorry to tell you that all too often people read the story of the prodigal son and they stiff arm it. They keep it at a distance. Great story. Good story. Good story. Could I ask you for just a couple of minutes or so to, to let this story belong to you? Could, could you do that? Could you let this story belong to you? Especially the part where God has picked you up and dusted you off and said, let's keep going. Because in this life, it's a journey, isn't it? It's a journey. God just asks you to take his hand and keep on keeping on. So I'm going to ask the praise team to lead us. And I want to invite you just into a spirit of prayer. You can bow your head or not. You can kneel down or not. You can stand and lift your hands or not. I know that's probably illegal in our church or in some churches. But I want you to know in whatever way you choose to worship God, I want to give you the freedom to do that now, okay? It might be that you just want to stand where you are and say, Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you. By your grace, I am where I am. It is not because of how good I am. So I just want to invite you into a spirit of prayer. We're going to worship for a few moments, and then we're going to close.